0: My guests are already teasing me today because I've had them both on before. Back in 2017, I was having an issue with copyright infringement. And I reached out to Ed Greenberg, who is one of the guys behind the website and the book, that book right there, Make It Upside Right, The Copyright Zone. And I reached out to Ed and talked to him about the issue that I was having. And that turned into an episode that I did back in the summer of 2017. But in 2018, Some things have changed with the way that you register your images and deal with copyright. So I thought, let's get these guys back on and do kind of a 2018 update. Today, it's Copyright for Photographers, the 2018 update on this episode of Behind the Shot. Hi, once again, welcome to another episode of Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, and as always, you can find all the information about this podcast at behindtheshot.tv. If you're a podcast watcher, as opposed to just watching videos on the web, you can also subscribe to the podcast. Make sure that you use the links that are on the website. If you just go into iTunes or whatever your podcast catching app is and search for Behind the Shot, you may find the old feed back when I was on the old network. And that will let you subscribe, but you won't get any new shows. So make sure you subscribe to the one that says Steve Brazel, not the one that says This Week in Photo if you want to get all the new uh, the new shows that we do. As always as well, you're welcome to reach out to me. I'll give you my social media stuff and, and, and uh, contact information at the end of the show. But I want to get into today's show right away because I got a lot to talk about with these two guys. I, as I mentioned in the opening, in 2017, I had some issues. I reached out to a guy, Ed Greenberg part of the website and the book, The the Copyright Zone. And I'll show you the book again here in just a second. But some things have changed in 2018. So I wanted to bring these two guys on. Welcome to Ed Greenberg and Jack Resnicki. How are you guys today?
1: Okay, doing good. Do you still have issues?
0: I still have issues all the time. If you, because we had some in the green room, we did some stuff with microphones. So if you guys want to sit really close to the mic, just so that we make, or at least speak up real loud so we know it picks you up. So again, thank you guys for coming back on. You both look great. Yeah. Yeah, right. And And I
1: feel marvelous.
0: You feel marvelous. You look marvelous. So-
1: important than feeling great.
0: I want to start for those people who didn't see the first one. Let me just kind of tell everybody up front. We're not going to completely rehash the first episode. Everything we talked about pretty much in that episode still holds true. So go back and watch that. But we will kind of take the helicopter view of copyright for photographers and kind of touch on that a little bit. But I also want to mention the website and the book that we've got. So let's run down the line here. First of all, the copyright zone, the website, Explain to the viewers what the, the goal of that website is
1: the copyrightzone dot com, which is our blog, is set up where we write articles for photographers, models, and other creators, not for lawyers but for real people, so that they can understand within a minute or two uh, the uh, myth uh, we bust myths and we try to give just the facts, as they used to say on Dragnet, in simple, plain English formula to bust all the tribal myths that are out there.
2: And there are a lot of them. It, it's it's really geared for a working photographer and or just people interested in this stuff, especially if they've been ripped off. I think we hit a lot of topics that a lot of other sites don't hit. And even those for photographers... We do have some lawyers following us. Uh, well,
0: and, and actually, you sent me, I mentioned to you a news thing that came out that we'll talk about near the end of the show, but you sent me a link that you guys had covered it in depth, and I'm thinking, okay, they covered it in depth, and I'm going to go read it. And I mean, you covered it in depth, and that to me was refreshing because of all the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, all the FUD that's on the internet about copyright when you go into any Facebook group or blog or Reddit or whatever it was really neat to see somebody sit down and take a specific case and explain to people why parts of what you hear are true and parts of what you hear aren't um, well, yeah, that for, the- for people like me, that's really refreshing.
2: Why don't, why don't we discuss that instead of putting people off to the very end of this and, and just catch up on, we can stuff?
0: definitely do it. Let me, let me just get, you get your guys info out there. So first of all, so that people know when they're looking at, at, Ed. Ed is a practicing attorney, a litigator, an actual IP attorney. And Ed has represented some of the top photographers, the top illustrators, the top models, reps, agents. And this is one of the ones I always go back to with you, Ed. You have been both faculty and a guest lecturer for the master's program in digital photography at the School of Visual Arts in New York, not a small accomplishment in and of itself. True. Guilty. And then Jack is one of the original Canon explorers of light, commercial photographer, people, children, you're based out of you're both based out of the New York area. Uh but like Ed, you do lectures, you do workshops, you're a Photoshop World Dream Team instructor and you've had huge clients, you know, AT&T and Crest and Reader's Digest. But but again, there's a there's one thing I go to for you. You've had more than one Time Magazine cover.
2: Yeah, I've had two.
0: Which is that's amazing. More. Past president of PPA. Yes. And this this one also always sticks in my, my head. Uh, twice received the IPC, which is the International Photographic Council Leadership Medal. Uh, excellence in Studio Photography at the United Nations. You guys have credentials.
2: Thanks. The one you missed that I wanted to jump yeah. in on was um, I also teach a graduate course at
1: SVA.
0: Ah, um, okay, there we go. So you're both involved that- in that master's program then.
1: That's, well, well, he is now, but that's why regularly, that's why he makes his wife call him professor.
0: Yes. So <laughs> let's let's talk about that case. Let's start there and then we'll kind of recap copyright in general. But there was a uh, I discussed this case, actually, or kind of, you know, from the headline point of view in the article on Petapixel or wherever it was um, about a, a judge in the Eastern District of Virginia that. Uh, ruled on a case about a gentleman by the name of Russell Brammer and his image was on Flickr. It was a DC long exposure image and the Northern Virginia Film Festival grabbed it and the judge ruled that it was fair use. And, And what I saw online when that came out was all the crazy people freaking out. Oh my God, what does this mean for photography? What does this mean for photography? And I was probably one of them. And then you sent me the post you wrote, which there will be a link in the blog post for this episode at This Week in Photo. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going back to the old network at behindtheshot.tv. Um, so explain the case and explain why people misunderstood the ruling.
1: I'll let Jack explain the case and then I'll. Perfect. Just, just years to the explanation. Well, it,
2: it's, some of it is part of the explanation. I mean, it, yeah, this was just the headline of this, uh, if you two don't mind me saying, you know, got everybody's hair on fire. Oh, on the that's
1: the that
0: Thanks. Is, uh, I see that's where
2: hard you're hard going. Me. I was saving that one. But it, the headline was, you know, judge, uh, courts now rule that uh, uh, photos on the Internet are fair use. And that was far from it. This is an isolated case. Um, There were a lot of problems with it. And I think the difference in our blog and what we do is we actually get the court papers, Um, not just reading the judgment, but the actual, all the stupid stuff that's submitted, all the evidence, uh, and we read exactly um, what the case is. And we found a lot of surprises in this case. Um, I think the big one for me was the fact that this was a pixie
0: case. See, and I a, didn't know that till I read the article. And that immediately, having had conversations with Ed about Pixie, that immediately, I, I literally went, what?
2: Yeah, a lot of people don't know that Pixie is the one who hired the, the uh, lawyer. You know, they paid for everything. They brought the case. It wasn't a great case. Um, and yeah, the fact that they were involved also means that not only the lawyer in the case got his cut, which was, according to the court papers, 35% of any judgment, Pixie also gets a percentage. You know, their contract is 50%. If they take their 50%, uh, and there's no reason for them not to, that means the photographer would have ended up with 15% of the settlement. That was one of the surprises from from reading everything. But
1: that that was less important uh, for me, although I am clearly not a fan of any search firm. Uh, The... Cliché about war reportage, that first reports are always wrong, applies here. People who did not read the court papers threw up headlines with authority because their qualification was they had a keyboard. Judges make decisions based on the evidence before them. And only the evidence before them,
0: and so, and that uh, that's an interesting statement right there because you said something in the blog post that was was for a layman from a law point of view, right? Was a huge trigger to me, and that is, it is not a judge's job, correct, to come up with evidence for you because they have it. The, the judge could have it in the back of their head. It's not their job to create evidence for you.
2: They can't rule on what's not presented to them. so much so that this judge in this case pointed that out specifically in his papers. He said he can only judge on what's presented. So the implication is the
0: lawyer didn't present, uh, let's say, the case that he should have. So is that a judge basically slapping the lawyer upside the head as you idiot? Well,
1: Well, sometimes the judges will be even more specific. So, for example, there are cases in copyright where the plaintiff has called an expert witness and the expert witness testifies and the other side inexcusably out of stupidity or incompetence doesn't call an expert witness. The jury or the judge, depending on who's trying the case, hears the expert and finds the expert credible. There's no opposition expert. Now, let's just assume that the expert is a nut that any photographer or anybody in the photo, modeling, advertising industry knows that every word out of the expert's mouth is nonsense. But it's believable to a jury that doesn't know the industry. The other attorney does not effectively cross-examine that witness to undercut his or her credibility. Therefore, the judge, if, he, if uh, he's trying the case, or the jury, if they're trying the case, is going to make their determination only on what's before them. So in the particular case that you're raising, which we go into the blog, I read the papers. And knowing this field, I would have held exactly the way the judge held because I would be required by law only to read and absorb that which is presented to me, by the lawyers.
2: Now let's jump ahead a little bit. I, I'd like to get back to the expert witness part of it because there wasn't an expert. Which, witness. by the way,
0: you have two blog posts: expert witness, like version one and yeah. and version two, right. on the website too.
2: Yeah, because it, it's. It, I'll get into that, but I don't want to miss this part of it that I think a lot of people miss. This was a bad case. It didn't set a precedent, and a, a lot of the experts and we've said it on this. Any lawyer who's going to, to depend on this case is a precedent to bring before uh, another case is going to be not doing too well. It, it's, it's not going to hold up. It, it is not going to set a precedent that now you can take images off the internet. This was the way this case was presented. This was the way this case was, was um, uh, ruled on, but it's not gonna, it's not now saying that everybody can do this.
0: So I'm, is- I'm, I'm curious because, because I got something from reading this and I, I'm curious that my takeaway from the article was that like everybody was freaking out about that. It was a a bad decision, right? That you guys agree that the decision itself in concept was flawed, but that the judge ruled properly for the case presented in front of him. Is that how I, am I interpreting that
1: right? Yeah. But The people, the people who, whether they're acting in good faith or not, who write for blogs, who write for magazines, who write for newspapers, they don't read the legal papers. They just take away that which they wish to take away. And since they're not attorneys, they're not trained in the law, uh, they are misinterpreting or not uh, uh, understanding the full nature and extent of what the judge has heard. So they grab what's sexy, what's going to catch the reader's eye. Uh, Because for a reporter or a journalist, space uh, or airtime is oxygen. They don't take the time to read. There were, I don't know, off the top of my head, over 200 pages of dense legalese. Dense to the point that a reporter who is not a legal reporter wouldn't understand it. Any attorney who knows this field would have no difficulty understanding it. Sometimes some attorneys are better than others. Sometimes some expert witnesses are much better than others. And the judge, if the judge is making the ruling, or the jury, if the jury is making the ruling, makes that decision only based on what they see before them. So if one side presents a better case, even though they're wrong on the law, the jury is going to... Give the better case, the better witnesses, the more credible witnesses, uh, a higher likelihood of success. And a judge is very, very rarely going to, in a civil case is very, very rarely going to step in and say to an attorney who's not doing a good job. Uh, uh, Mr. Smith, aren't you going to call uh, a witness that says this, right. that and the other thing? Wink, wink, wink. Right. Hey, and I think dude, do you thing-
0: got a case here?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: The other thing is on experts, too, is um, I've been called on some stuff. I know Ed's done expert witness work.
0: It's funny because I-, I was talking to your wife earlier, and she specifically said you were not an expert.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but
0: I'm bummed. Hey, let me tell bum, you. Bum, bum. Thank you.
2: Um, I- I've talked to some lawyers who were supposedly IP lawyers, and I've asked them questions, and-, and they didn't have an answer or they didn't have paperwork that I was asking for. And, and it surprises me and it shocks me. Surprises jail- him, not me,
1: because for 40 yeah. years, uh, I get uh, I am frequently the attorney that someone is calling up is calling up and saying, look, my attorney told me this, that and the other thing. And here's what happened. And, you know, they're asking me to pick up the pieces of a preventable disaster.
2: Yeah, I think what happens in some cases that I've run across is somebody hires a lawyer. And basically, uh, you're paying for their education because they're learning about this stuff as it goes along. But this is a real specialty. I don't know the law. I depend on Ed to uh, tell me some of the things that I don't understand the way it's written or the way it's presented. But the industry, I know. And that's a that's a different specialty. And that's what some of the lawyers don't know.
0: Well and He's one of the other takeaways that, that I had when I read the article was something I think my dad taught me when I was a kid. If you ever go to small claims court, usually the guy with the most paperwork wins.
1: Yeah. So, well, the guy who speaks the least
0: wins. And Okay, and there we go.
1: But the it's, more you talk, the more a layman talks, the deeper the hole becomes.
0: Which makes sense. Well, I mean well, yeah. Because you're talking younger- about something that you don't understand. So one last thing, and then then we'll kind of back up and, and do the copyright kind of review thing. And that is, we brought up the Pixie thing. And I, I don't want to delve, that. that's a category in and of itself. I don't want to delve deep in there. But there was another interesting thing. The fact that this was a Pixie thing reinforced something that Ed has actually said to me before. And that is, when Pixie represents you. They pick the attorney you don't know necessarily even who the attorney is in some cases unless there are court documents filed with their name on it so this guy had no choice that he got an attorney that did not do this stuff properly
1: i can't I can't say that with any authority but I can say that and I don't want to get too much in the weeds here right so right, right if I do <laughs> good luck if a it's a standard line of questioning. The photographer is on the witness stand and let's assume it's a he and the defense attorney is cross-examining the photographer. Standard line of question is if this jury awards you an amount of money other than paying your lawyer, will this, uh, will this money go to anyone other than your lawyer and your spouse, And now the photographer, if it's a Pixie or a search firm, any search firm has to say, well, this company called Pixie or fill in the blank, any other search firm will be getting money, too. At which point, with typically great flourish, the defense attorney says, really? So they're getting X percent of what this jury might award you. And the photographer says, yes. And for what service did they perform? Oh, they go looking around for cases so that I can bring cases and lawsuits when my copyright is infringed. So now the photographer goes from a David fighting Goliath and a solo photographer to a guy who's hired a company looking right. for lawsuits. So right. all literally he, looking. Correct. So all the sympathies... And all the empathy that you would get from a jury goes out the window. And if a jury thinks the photographer is entitled to money, they're going to lop off a big chunk of that money when they go back into the jury room to delivery.
0: So let me ask you a question. One, one last follow-up on that then. Um, there's so many tools to, you know, you got Google image search. You've got, I, I know somebody who uses the Russian search engine Yandex cause it's a great photography search engine. Uh, There are a number of tools to go do your own searches, right? If you've got a free account, which a lot of people do at one of these search sites, I don't want to pick on Pixie, but you know, like a Pixie, and you're just using it to find the images along with other tools that you're finding.
2: You you didn't read the fine print for Pixie or Image Rights or any of the others. If you use their service, free service, you are obligated to pay them even if you don't even if they're not the ones who go after really?
0: your
2: own lawyer. Oh, and some of them. you, you got to really read into so it. So there's,
0: there's out- fine print.
2: There's fine print there that if you use their service, they're entitled yeah. to, according to most of them, 50% of whatever the judgment okay. is.
1: We, we've done several articles on search firms, but I just want to add one thing. Uh, and no matter how many times I say this, it seems to go over everybody's head. It's like talking to my wife. Boom, my boom. best, my best copyright cases were images that would not have been found on the web. Right. They, were on, they were on T-shirts or packaging advertised on the web. They were on packaging that wasn't on the web anywhere. They were on billboards, uh, in some cases, merchandise where the infringer intentionally keeps them off the web in the effective, uh, it's an effective method to beat the photographer and beat the model. Because it's not on the web. They may sell it at a, uh, at a carnival, at right. a fair, a series of craft shows. Well, you, at, have,
2: you have H&M, uh, you right. have Urban art fitters. Those are two different companies you've sued for two different Sometimes uh, photographer and a model.
1: Sometimes a t-shirt, believe it or not, might not appear on the web but it appears in the stores. Sometimes right. sometimes it's a point of purchase. It could be a ten card at a bank, and it's not on the web.
2: But the point is that it's – well, the, the point that I want to get back to is we're not fan of some of these sites. You really have to read the fine print of it, and they exist. And here's one of the issues we have with them, to get a little further along into the weeds with this, the issue we have is their model is to get a lot of cases and settle very quickly. If they settle quickly for a lot less money than these cases are worth, it, it's more profitable to them. Right. A, where there's a lawyer that has to go in and do the research and file the papers and maybe go to court is a money loser for them. So it, as we refer to them in our writings, we call them pioneers. They're early settlers. You know, And some of them will settle for the first thing they hear from the other side. And we Ed has had cases where photographers have come, and I know you can't talk about it, but I can, where it it could have been a case that they were looking to collect twenty five hundred or three thousand, and the case could have been worth forty, fifty thousand if well, it was handled. Rapidly. A search
1: firm a search firm will make more money getting a quick settlement for five thousand dollars without knowing the full nature and extent of the use than suing and getting sixty five or seventy five thousand dollars. It's more profitable to get the quick five thousand dollars than to pursue the case. Number one, number two, most important: if you if you need a doctor, you select the doctor. Right. You want some help. You want some help. You want a referral from another doctor. Great, terrific. But that doctor is beholden only to you. If you hire a lawyer, that lawyer should be representing you and your interests only. No one else's. Because if they're representing you and someone else, 98% of the time, there is a conflict of interest that benefits one person, the lawyer. Well, and, and it-
0: this this strikes me as we've all seen it, right? Photographers online constantly debate, oh, Instagram changed their terms of service. Don't post your pictures or Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media name here. You need to read the terms of service. And yet people use these services- and mm-hmm. don't debate their terms of service. And it's like anything else, especially free, right? If you are, if, they, if, they, if, if the product you're getting is free, you are the product
2: Yeah. and you there have you to don't.
0: protect yourself with a little bit of knowledge, which brings us back to the copyright question. So I don't want to recap the whole first episode. People can go see that. And in the blog post, there's a link to the first episode. Um, but from the helicopter point of view, Explain copyright and why it matters from a photographer point of view.
2: Well, it's not just copyright. Copyright gives you very specific rights on how your work is handled, how it's distributed, um, just uh, how it's used. But in the U.S., you really don't have any protection unless you register it. You cannot file a suit without a registration. Um, that's that means money.
1: That means you can't stop people from using it. And you can't collect money, <clears throat> excuse me, without a registration. And the way that you register has changed recently, and that's what
2: dramatically, uh, and, and that's one of the things we talk about. But people find out the hard way. They say, oh, you know, they, they stole my work. And then you find out if it wasn't registered before the infringement. You can register it after the infringement, but you lose certain rights if you do it late like that. You lose the right for statutory damages and the right to collect lawyer fees. So um, if you register beforehand, that's a big, huge stick. And a lot of infringers, a lot of big media companies know, one, most photographers don't register. So if, it, if they don't see a registration, they just ignore you. It doesn't matter what you say. All you're doing is yelling and screaming and making noise. But if you can't sue them, they don't care. You know, they're not suddenly going to grow a conscience. They don't have one. It's business to them. Uh, in fact, some businesses do a cost analysis figuring that it's more profitable to steal images and pay the one or two people that might sue them during the year and, and settle with them than to pay. I mean, that's a real cost analysis that companies actually do. Um, we have one article we always point to, we might have pointed to it at the last one on our blog called head fakes. It's what lawyers tell other lawyers what to do if your client is an infringer. And one of the things is if you only hear from a photographer, just ignore it. Wait until you hear from a lawyer, and only if they mention that there's a registration with
1: a registration number. It's the same advice that I give to clients who I am defending against infringement. If I don't get, if my client doesn't get a lawyer's letter with a copyright registration annexed, I tell my client to ignore it. Yeah. Let them sue you.
2: Yeah, there's nothing they can do. Don't do a thing. Um, it, it's the key to the courthouse. You can't sue. It, it has to be in federal court because copyright's are federal law. So it's not, you can't go to small claims court or anything like that. It's not a civil case. It's not a theft of service. It's copyright and it's a big stick and it's a huge protection we have, but you have to jump through the hoops. Now, the big change they made this past year in February, in February,
0: February 20th,
2: right? um, Is they change how many you can um, submit and they change the process itself a little bit. Uh, it used to be i could register thousands of images and i've registered 13 14,000 images on one application in one batch in one batch for $55 right. stop
1: cuz everybody gets this wrong no matter how many times he says it i say it or anybody else says it and jack when you registered the 13,000 how much 13,000 images images how much how much was the total fee to register 13,000 images And what's the maximum amount that you can register?
2: $750.
1: And what's the fee to register 750 images?
2: Right now, $55. What
1: if I want to register 500 images?
2: $55. What if
1: I want to register five images?
2: You're not getting this, are you? Only $55.
1: And every day, in every way, we get someone saying, well, oh, I can't afford to register because it's fifty-five dollars an image.
2: Well, it, the seven hundred and fifty was was a big blow, and and uh, they're now talking about raising it to a hundred dollars.
0: Uh, yeah, and 25. I've heard I've heard mentions of seventy-five in some places and a hundred in some places. Do we know if that's going to happen?
2: It's it, well, it, they put it in the national um, uh, register. It's it's being proposed. It's a hundred dollars. The seventy-five dollars is for a different type of registration. You, you, again, you have to read the whole thing and what they're doing. But a group registration, which is what they're doing now, um, is uh, right now fifty-five dollars. They're proposing a hundred for the same registration. I hate to
1: be sarcastic, you know. I'm never sarcastic. But oh. You're asking whether the government is going to charge more so it can collect <laughs> more money. And what do we think if they're going to ask for more money?
2: Right. And the, the one other thing that they've changed too is. The actual registration, there's a couple more little things that you have to do, but one of them is you have to send in a spreadsheet, an Excel sheet. They provide it, a template, which is really good. It's presented well, but you have to list each title, each image title. And it could be anything it could be Joe, it could be, you know, Photo One, which I don't recommend doing. It should be a unique name. But you have to list
0: each one of those in the spreadsheet. Can it be
1: a combination of initials like EG1, EG2? Why, of course, Ed, it can.
0: Yeah, like for example, for me, and I don't send in the spreadsheet, I send in a PDF of it. But I use their spreadsheet because it's an easy way to get the text as I need it with the commas afterwards to copy and paste into the form because they only allow so many entries per title entry so you have to do multiple title entries but for me i i might name my image like for example saturday i shot uh, cal jam festival and this is the perfect example where the 750 images comes in i shot 1800 images now i don't really want to do two registrations at 50 you know to register 1500 images even if i delete 300 that's going to cost me 110 as opposed to 55. So I'm trying to get it down to, to 750 as I as I call them. I name my images, you know, first initial last name underscore caljam 2018 underscore and then a three digit number for whatever that image is. And I put those in there and they're unpublished. I when we did our first it, our first episode, it changed how I work. I will not post images now unless I register them before I post them because of our conversation. Good but right. I use the spreadsheet to put them in there and my file name and my image title as recommended by the copyright office are the same. If I don't have a unique title for each image, I just use the file name repeated. Right. But when I do that, I then save it as a PDF and send that, not the spreadsheet. I am curious what you think. Do you, do you, is there really a difference on sending the spreadsheet or a PDF?
2: no, not at all. They just need they just need that form to know what you're sending in, so it okay. means not only sending in your images, you have to send in that spreadsheet.
0: So when I'm bringing it down to 750, because I've had this question asked of me multiple times, and my answer always is, I don't know. Just do it if you don't know, because it's just one other image. What if you have an image, right? Let's let's say Ed is travel traveling through Europe, and he takes a beautiful image of uh, the Seine. Me. Uh, no oh no, no. It's with his iPhone. Um no, I have no I
1: have no talent. Let, let, let's just use our so, <laughs>
0: Okay, let's let's say Jack is traveling through Europe and Jack takes this beautiful picture. All right. But in editing,
1: Maybe.
0: he's Maybe. got he's in Lightroom and he does his edit and the picture's done. It's a beautiful color picture. He goes, you know what? I wonder what this would look like in black and white. So he creates a virtual copy and he makes that black and white. Should they register? both versions or does it matter?
2: No, because the black and white is a derivative of the original. If you can show that that it's a direct derivative, uh, no problems. Now, if you, I have images where I, I add a background from one image and, and the foreground from something else and put them together. Technically I own all those elements and they're all registered. Um, will I re-register the, the next image? Um, That could be an issue. It has to be so different that you really couldn't tell that it was done from these two images. Otherwise, when you register it, you have to say that there are elements that have been previously registered.
1: But the lawyer is going to tell you you're safer registering it. Uh, registering the "quote unquote" new work, I want to throw in. Yeah, something. You can't. You can't over register. Right, and that's what uh-huh. I
0: tell people is just read It's an right. extra image. Register the same image in black and white if you're not sure.
1: Right. Let me just throw in two things uh, real quick about money. When you register properly, when Jack saying you lose your right to attorney's fees and statutory damages, it means that a case that might be worth five or ten thousand dollars would otherwise be worth well uh, two hundred thousand dollars. So just by failure, registering, yeah. Just your failure to spend fifty-five dollars will cost you a hundred grand, which you will explain to your spouse why uh, you yeah. know you can't buy her. Nice and you'll things. live with it the rest,
0: the rest of your life.
1: And okay. Before, so take
0: a take a worst case scenario. Then uh, I'll, I'll make up numbers. I shoot an image in January of this year, twenty eighteen. I don't register it for three years. Okay. Three years later, it's never been registered. I decide to register it. I'm well past the 90 calendar day grace period i'm I'm three three years later, but it hasn't been infringed. I register it three years from now and then it's infringed. Do I get the full protection of the registration or have I still lost some features?
2: Yes two things one it's not it, the 90 days forget it's three months and it has to do with publication right into three up.
0: months. I know that too. Three calendar months.
2: Some people think, oh, I take the picture and I only have three months to register. No, 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 no. That's when it's published, you have a three-month window. In this case, you're saying it's unpublished for three,
0: four, five, eight years. No, I'm saying I did publish it. It's been out there. I register it. I should have clarified that. Uh, I know. I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I register it three years later, but it has not been infringed. Uh, I right. register it three years later and a year after I register it, somebody infringes it. Does that okay. registration, even though it was three years late, but a year before the, the the infringement, do I get full protection?
1: Jack is going to simplify your overly complicated question. Yeah, I know.
0: I'm such a dork. <laughs> there's,
2: there's no such thing as registering late. You don't have to register when you create the image. You have the option of when to register it. and And the goal line is, is it registered before the infringement? That's
0: all that really matters.
2: That's all that really matters. And it, it doesn't have to be the year you photograph it. I have images I'm going through now, uh, and this is going to happen to me in the future. Um, I went through Europe and, okay, I can only register 750. So, and, and I keep a good record of what I registered. Do not depend on the copyright office to keep those records. They will charge you more than you're going to collect to retrieve those files. To, we
0: need to someday talk about how you do it. I use keywords in Lightroom to, to mark whether something needs to be, has been, or has not been registered.
2: Um, and that's a great way of doing it. I, I just keep a record of what, a, a separate file. Okay, So I visually see what I have in that registration and it has a registration number attached to file name, blah, blah, blah. Everybody does it a little differently. Right. Um, and, and I'm completely forgetting where I'm going with all of this. But it, it's... It, the goal line is you want to have it registered before it's infringed. if it's published, and this is a three month thing if it's published, there's a three month month window on published images only where if you if you publish it January first, you have three months and they call it birthday dating. yeah, you know they don't count the days it's the first of this month to the first of the next calendar month, month yeah calendar month, so February is a month. 28 days, you know, another month that has 31 is 31 days, but you it's, it's from this date to this date, October, uh, January 1st to March 1st. Okay. Three months. In that case, you can register after the infringement. If it's in that three month window, but only for published works. But if you have work that you've had for years and years, and it's never been published, literally
1: in the drawer, you've never taken it out of the drawer.
2: Okay. Um, And, and we know a lot of people that have that. They, they, a slew of them are coming up from from you would know from old rock and rollers oh yeah shot um people in the 60s and 70s and didn't give it much thought and now suddenly these images are worth a lot of money especially because they haven't been seen
0: and the first thing we say is make sure you register them if they weren't published but now, if it's a published image and you and you missed the night the, the 3 months you, you do you register. do 6 months as long okay. as it's before the infringement you still get full protection
2: Yeah, but the problem is, let's say you shot it in the 60s and it was published in the 60s, you are subject to the copyright laws of the 60s, which were a little different. I'm just talking.
0: I'm talking like, you know, because I I have a lot of people say to me, I put it on Facebook last year. Now I'm learning that I should be registering and I want to, but it's not going to give me the protection. But it hasn't been infringed yet. If they do it right now, they get the protection before it's infringed.
1: Register it anyhow. And here's, again, I come back to money on these because money and making infringers pay is the only thing that uh, matters really uh, in protecting your rights and uh, paying your mortgage. If you're doing an assignment shoot and someone is paying you X dollars to photograph anything, I don't care what it is, if it's 50 images of, uh, you know, people at a gazebo, Register that job, and build in the copyright registration fee so that the client pays it for you. Now we have a client uh, that Jack knows very well, and here is a huge problem for some shooters who are absolutely uh, anal to the nth degree and have made a tremendous amount of money recovering for infringements because they were because they register everything in a timely fashion. If you do high fashion, you do cosmetics, you, uh, you may shoot three, 4,000 images in two days easily. Now, you have to register that entire shoot. Now, instead of it costing $55 as it did last year, it's 55 times 5, 6, 7, 8. And every one of those images has to be registered Especially when you're doing a commercial job, job for a high end, um, uh, you know, mascara company or right. whatever. So for those people who, by nature, have to shoot that many images, it's a burden. However, it is a burden that is is more than made up by one lawsuit. And typically, uh, those type of uh, higher end clients will will pay whether they know it or not, wink, wink, will be paying for your registration fees.
0: Right, you build it into the fee, yeah. But but the other but thing is I know somebody know. is going to come back to me and say, oh, you didn't touch on work for hire though. So let me just throw this out there while I'm thinking about it. If you want to know the work for hire argument in this conversation, we talked about that in the first version of this episode back in 2017. So go watch that episode and we, we, we touch on that. I, yeah, I have a question for you guys on this thing. I want to hold this up again. I use this, I got to get it on camera. I use this book all the time, The Copyright Zone. Uh, You'll notice I have multiple notes in here to keep places because, you know, I do it all the time. And the truth is when I was doing unpublished images before we had to do this list of file names, it was super, super easy. I had a template. I used the template. 10 minutes, I was out. Now I got to export names from Lightroom, blah, blah, blah. It takes a little bit longer. It's it's still not bad though.
2: And, And let me ask you a question though. When you're filling out the registration, do you put all the titles in the registration under the title box?
0: Yeah, I do multiple title boxes. I copy them, their spreadsheet. The nice thing about the template from the U.S. Copyright Office is it's the file with the comma. And when you copy it out, I literally copy the whole column. This is a weird way to do it, I'm sure, but you're limited on how many.
2: that's That's the way I do it. I
0: copy the whole column. I paste it in. I click away and it errors and goes, you have too many. And it deletes everything that's not going to fit. I clean up because sometimes it cuts half a name. So I delete that. I count them. I mark how many and there's, I've got 300 and I've got this one held 54. And I repeat that process until I get them all in
2: there. You total, you total the amounts at the end to make sure it totals up, right? Yeah. I, got, I wasn't going to admit it, but Yes. Okay. But, but, and you want to know the hard part that's going to screw up a lot of people? If, if you put in um, uh, number 99, because you, if you read the numbers off the spreadsheet, right. which is why the Excel sheet, you start at 99 and you go to 199, how many images is that?
0: That would be from 99 to 199, that'd be 100. Yeah. No, and then
2: your number will be off when you have to tell them how many you're doing. That's not 99. That's
0: 101. Oh, it's 101. Because, right. Because zero, zero. Right. It's wild. I, I'm stupid though. I'm so anal. I literally yeah. put a cursor there and I arrow down counting. One, two, three, four, okay. five, six, seven.
2: Oh, I'm too lazy. I just, I just look at the numbers okay. and figure out the math. I got to
1: interrupt you. Boys what and girls. Shock. What a shock. Boys and girls, ladies and gents listening at home. These two have made what is a relatively simple process. <laughs> sound very complicated which is typically the job of a lawyer okay they are making it sound far more complicated than it is a 10 or 11 year old used to be a nine year old now a 10 or 11 year old can do it and we still teach the children of some of our clients to do it as like a family project so these two guys are nuancing no no no. no, no. this, you, is, this you, is important but stuff when but you're that. looking it's very important but when you're actually looking at it and I am no techie but when you're actually looking at the form it's much easier than discussing it
0: yeah and actually i'll add on to that it's it's not it's not hard no it's just not something that sticks in your brain as mu- muscle memory because you don't do it often enough, at least me. So for me, you know, the hardest part is getting my titles. I've got 750 CalJam images in Lightroom. I need those titles. I use a plugin called LR transporter. That's fantastic. That exports the title metadata. And I use that in the spreadsheet. It's not hard at all, but that brings us to my question on this bad boy here. And for those of you listening on audio, cause we have an audio feed too. Uh, I'm holding up the copyright zone book. I, I love this book. I've read this book cover to cover probably twice, uh, maybe three times, actually. Um, So my question is, these bookmarks I have in here are are Jack's screenshots for the old way to do registrations. Are you going to release a new version?
2: Yeah, no, we're we're working on an update because I'll buy it
0: in an instant. I'll buy
2: it. The the question we got is we know we have to do the copyright stuff. We're now looking at other things to add to make it uh, a completely new edition. Uh, because a lot of, not a lot of things have changed, but a lot of things have come up. Yeah. Um, But also in the book, um, the other thing other than copyright, because everybody thinks it's all about copyright, it's about a lot of other things uh, for photographers. The other important chapter for, for me that I really try and emphasize is how to write an invoice. Oh, yeah. Because a photographer's invoice is your license. And we have, I think, 10 things that we tell you you need to do on the front of the invoice. That doesn't
1: count. The whole back of the invoice with your terms and conditions. Just today I looked at an invoice issued by, uh, by a photographer and the total on the invoice that the client was to pay was in excess of $60,000. The entire invoice was four lines. No terms and conditions on the back. Wow. Now, think about walking into a Lexus dealer or an Acura dealer and laying out 54, grand for a car and the car dealer or the car manufacturer giving you a four line invoice. That's what people do in real life. And in some cases, it costs them a lot of money by not using a simple form, which they can simply steal from our book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's one thing it. I want to I want to throw in is we've talked about unpublished images. There is still the unique requirement for published images that on each individual image you have to include the original published date. Yes.
1: Yes.
0: So that and that that mix, is is still in effect.
1: And don't mix years, and don't mix published with unpublished.
0: Okay. Let me go to the year one. The published and, and unpublished. I'm familiar with the year one, just to clarify, because I've had people ask me about this one too. Um, whether that you are publishing a published batch or an unpublished batch, because again, you don't mix the two, well, yes. regardless of the batch, yes. you can only register images created in, not published in, but created in the same calendar year, correct?
1: Yeah. That's the way you should do it. No, no,
2: it's, it's no. Uh, it's, and, uh, but it's easier
1: to say that's the way you should do it. Okay. Okay. Now, it, I mean, I could dance on a head of a pin and some God forbid lawyer out there saying, well, not a... that's the way to do it. Just what you said. Don't listen to anybody else. They should listen to you just the way you express it.
2: Let me let me jump to something else that might affect you and wedding photographers. Um, let's say you, you're given an assignment to shoot uh, a rock and roll band. Okay. And this is a big gig, it's a big job, it's a big band, it's a big tour. I'm excited.
0: I can't wait to find out
2: who it is. And and you hire another photographer to shoot with you. Okay? Right. Just the way a, a second wedding second shooter. A second shooter. And mm-hmm. somebody and let's say you're a wedding photographer same situation. Hire a second shooter. Who owns those images?
0: I know and the answer you- already from our first conversation.
2: It's, I've had an interesting discussion at the copyright office and this one drove me a little crazy. Really? It depends. Yes. There's two different registrations has, well, one, if you should have a contract with that shooter, anybody who does it verbally is out of their mind. And if
1: you have that contract, what Jack is going to say, and we have a form in the book, it's a, you know, ounce of prevention. You can avoid all these issues by having a one page agreement with your second shooter. But Let's assume you don't, Jack.
2: Well, no, no. I'm not going to get into you don't. Let's assume you do. And and in that, you have what you're supposed to have, which is a transfer of copyright. The copyright's been transferred to you. And this is going into registration. That's okay. what I really want to cover. Uh, and here's the two differences.
1: So wait a minute, Steve. Jack is talking about a work for hire agreement, which also says any rights that I may have had or may have, right. not saying I have any, but any that I might have I am assigning giving to Jack.
0: So now they're my photo So it's, it is wrote. now work for hire. It's in writing it's work for hire. And okay.
2: And and you have taken images and now you have a group of those images and and by the way the the other thing I'm going to get into is an employee which is another category in okay. copyright. It's not the same. This is a second shooter that that you've hired specifically and you've transferred the rights to yourself. Okay. So now you have all these images. You can't register their images and your images under one registration, even though you own all the copyrights. Because
0: it's a different author.
2: It's a different author, and that's where the problem. I asked them about this issue on something, and they said, oh, just put in two authors. And I wrote back and saying, your software won't allow me to do that.
0: No, in fact, as I recall, there's a checkbox or something where it's, are you the author of these works?
2: Correct, right, correct. And if you're not, how has the work been transferred to you? You have to explain. Usually, you just put in. There's a a, um, a drop down. It says in writing, right? Which is fine. That's all they need. Um, now that means you have to do two registrations. One for the images you took, right? And one for the images that the other photographer wow. took. Now comes up again. If it's an employee, I, and a true employee, you're not. You you can't fudge this. You're not w. suddenly an employee. You get
1: it. a W two.
2: Correct. This is someone that meets all the requirements. In that case, you are the author of the images because there is no transfer of copyright. It's work for hire. That person never had a right to it, so they can't transfer the copyright to you.
0: So a the contractor needs a written work for hire agreement, and they have to be registered separately. An employee does not. Hold on a second. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. that's right. That's no, it, it you you can't make somebody a work for hire.
0: Um, uh,
1: no, no an sure. independent contractor.
0: Right. You need a written In- work for hire agreement, yeah, and they I have to be have registered it. separately.
2: Right. But it's but it's not work for hire if it's if it's not your employee. Correct. Then it's a transfer of copyright. Not correct. a work but- for hire.
0: Oh. a work it- for hire can't apply to a contractor. That's an employee thing.
2: Correct. No, because no, no. of the author issue. It's all about the author issue
0: when you do it. You can yeah. only have one author.
1: Wait, let, let me let me clarify. Let the lawyer
0: this. let the lawyer say it.
1: This is getting a little garbled. No, it's not. You can have an independent contractor working for you like a second shooter that you're going to use once in your lifetime. Right. Sign a work for hire agreement.
0: That okay? transfers copyright. Okay.
1: That also transfers copyright and says that he or she has no rights to the images. So, to try to make this simple, you you're doing the Goldberg bar mitzvah. Steve shoots 700 pictures. Steve's independent contractor assistant shoots 700 pictures, but you have a written second shooter work for hire agreement. Okay. Steve is going to own all 1,400 images and make two registrations of 700 each. Gotcha. And the page. Steve has an employee, Doug, okay? Steve and Doug shoot 1,400 images. Steve owns all 1,400 images. There's no assignment of copyright because Doug, as a regular employee whose job it is, take photographs to you, doesn't have to sign a work for hire agreement. Gotcha. You don't need one because he's an employee, nine to five, and that's what you hire him for. Makes sense. Okay, clear, it's actually very simple. It's only when photographers start nuancing and say, but what if, but what if, but what if, does everything get confusing? Now they don't do that about medical issues. You don't see photographers getting, uh, you know, on uh, making posts uh, saying, uh, "My arm is swollen," uh, and asking a fellow photographer whether the fellow photographer thinks it's broken or it's a ligament strain. But when it comes to legal issues, you know, the door flies wide open.
0: So let me ask the lawyer, since I've got a lawyer here. In what I shoot, and Jack, I think you've you've shot concerts before too, right? No, No. No. Okay. So in shooting concerts, quite often. A, usually it's a not a venue, but it can be, but usually a band might hand you a photo release you have to sign before you shoot. And that photo release may say, uh, you know, for the privilege of shooting this band at this venue on this date, uh, that's absolutely fine. You are only allowed to use these pictures for the editorial coverage in said publication. And uh, in using those images, uh, you are not allowed to use them commercially, blah, blah, blah. And you cannot share them on social media or use them in your portfolio, or it might say you cannot use them more than once. And here's the question all concert photographers ask at some point, they put it in front of you and you sign it and date it, but there's no signature from the other party.
1: Okay. It's fact sensitive. Every case is different. Every release has to be determined on its own terms, whatever it says. And by that state's law. Okay. Okay. So there's no one-size-fits-all answer. But I will uh, tell um, uh, the boys and girls at home that I have more than one photographer who shoots events. Uh, could be the uh, Nashville County Fair, right. okay? And they'll take uh, lots of pictures of the uh, you know, county fair, whatever. Those pictures get infringed all of the time they get infringed by tourist bureaus, they get infringed by governmental entities trying to promote business in Nashville or wherever. They get uh, used and promoted by vendors at those particular events, and those are some of the most infringed photographs that we deal with. Second biggest category is buildings. People will take photographs of buildings and then that photograph is infringed by, again, a developer, uh, a tourism board, uh, someone who's seeking to promote a particular neighborhood, real estate brokers. If I take a photograph of a park in an area, real estate brokers love to put that photograph up and say, you know, this house is only uh, three or four blocks from the beautiful park right. or you know, public beach. Those are among our most common cases, generic real estate photographs that someone with no talent like, like myself can go out and take.
0: So, so but, but going back to that question, I guess my point really is if only the photographer signs that photo release at a concert and the band management did not sign it. And um, you're normally any... in a contract exchange, I sign it's it, you sign contract. it. It may no, not matter.
1: A release in a given state may or may not be a contract. When you go in and you sign that you've received a package from FedEx, right? that's a legal document that reflects uh, okay. in court of law that you received a particular package. It's not a contract. In New York State, for example, a model release is not a contract. Every state has a different law.
0: Gotcha. Most,
1: most of the time- But it is a, a legal agreement. It, it's a Release. legal document. It doesn't have to be, in most states, a two-party signed agreement. It's always better if it is, but it's I still
0: enforceable it. if it's not to an extent, depending on on oh, yeah. state. And, well, yeah,
2: okay. In New York State, as as we say, we 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 put down on on our um, examples not to put in for valuable consideration on model releases because right that's in the book. Yeah, that you don't want to open. I will tell you, I've had lawyers sit in on our on our lectures and what, and that is like a revelation to a lot of them because they never thought about that. And they said, You're right, it's not a contract. You know, okay. you don't need reciprocity. Um reciprocity. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Or English.
0: You don't even need English. That's <laughs> why so, I'm a photographer. So here's here's the question on the book. Any ETA on when you guys might update it? I want people to buy this book I'm serious if you don't own this book don't wait for the new one though go buy this on Amazon right now it is this this book and our original conversation literally changed my workflow I'm not kidding and I can imagine when you guys do B&H or when you guys do Photoshop World or your Kelby One classes if people sit and watch those things Trust me, people. It will change the way you think about registering your work. There's no question about it.
1: Well, The last B and H that we did, which is not, uh, it's not up yet. It was not up, up yet. There is a complete uh, walkthrough, copyright registration walkthrough, with the screens and Jack walks. Uh, Jack walks you right through it. And B and H will put it
0: up though. I mean, they always do. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: They just take a while to do it. They, well, your Q and A one's up.
2: Uh, yeah, no. This is one after that okay. where I it, we did that one immediately after the 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 way you register changed, and uh, there were a couple corrections I made in this one. Uh, like the reason, um, you know, putting all of those names into the registration that you copy with the commas to put in the actual registration, that's not required. You don't have to do that. And I well read it. It doesn't say it's required. They suggest it.
0: Oh, see, I took their suggestion wrong then. I'm going to do it anyway.
2: Uh, there is. And the reason you do it is because in the past, um, that's happened in a couple cases. cases. Um, I, I can't say how prevalent it is, but if somebody, uh, let's say you did a concert of ZZ Top, and you registered that whole show under one registration, and somebody took three images from that, f- infringed from you, they took three, Technically, they could say that was only one infringement because they infringed that
0: registration.
1: It is a legal argument they could make. Right,
0: But, but doesn't the – let's say you don't put them in the form. You don't itemize the titles in the form, which is the pain. I'm, I'm but you have – okay, go old. ahead.
2: And the reason that you're putting all the names in like that is to eliminate that argument.
0: But doesn't the now, PDF serve that purpose? Exactly. So can um, you do the PDF and not put them in the form? No,
2: it has to be in the form. Okay. You, you put it in the form, and the reason they make you put it in and the limitation and all of that is because then it will be printed on your uh, registration when it comes out. So
0: how do people
2: uh, – It's listed separately. The other one – I don't know why you send in the Excel sheet, quite honestly, but that's a requirement.
1: So, so again, for photographers who are by nature visual people, listening to this explanation is infinitely more complicated and confusing and will cause more eyes to glaze over than simply looking at the form which is does make sense and it is orderly and relatively simple it
2: it is helpful the first time through to have help either from our book or the q a on on the uh, copyright registration site get it where you can but the first time you do it just don't do it blindly because once you do it once, it's simple and yeah, you get through it's not, it real quickly.
0: It is not it's a difficult not, thing, and and subscribe to their blog. Go to their blog and check it regularly because when when this B and H thing goes live, you guys always post when B and H yeah. has put the video up live, and you can watch it. But here's the other thing with registration: is you can save your data. So ninety percent of the forms, there's an add me button, and <laughs> you hit right. add me and hit next. This is I. It, Ed's right. I don't want to make this sound complex. It's not, it's not complex. It's just not something that you do every day.
1: And there's, well, my clients do it every day, but I do want to add something I don't want to forget. Very important. Don't pay anybody to do this for you. Oh, right. Yeah. If yeah. you have an employee, if you have a studio manager, if you even have an intern, uh, you know, a kid who comes in once a week to do it for you, that's fine. Don't pay a service. Don't pay a lawyer to do it.
2: Don't depend on anybody else doing it. I'll tell you an interesting thing about our book. When we were doing the contract, and luckily I had a lawyer to go over the contract, one of the argument, not argument points, but one of the things we discussed is the publisher wanted to file the registration, and we wanted to register it ourselves. They held out for it. We said, fine, you'll register it. The book comes out, I call up to double check because there's a three-month window from publication. I called two months after publication saying, can I get the application number? Because I know the registration isn't completed yet, but I want to follow up to make sure that it's being done. So I want the application number, which is different than the registration right. number. I called up, oh, we haven't done it yet. Now I'm in the month two and I only got a three-month window. And so I, cont- I called the person who actually does the registrations. And Ed has found out in a lot of publishing companies, it's sometimes not done. They forget to do it, or I don't know what happens, but it's not done. So I asked this person, Well, if you haven't done it by now, can I just register it myself? And they said, Oh, yeah, go ahead. And so our book is registered by us.
1: Don't rely on anybody else. Hey, I'll tell the story real quick. If you, this happened a dozen or so years ago, if you think of a list of the top 10 or 15 best selling authors of all time, One of those authors had a publisher, a major publisher, the name of which everybody knows. And my client also had that publisher and there was an issue and one thing led to another. It wasn't uh, a contentious thing, but it turned out that the publisher had failed to register 10 copyrights of 10 of the biggest selling books of all time from a huge publisher, I had to tell the publisher and the publisher's attorney came back to me to tell me, yes, well, the person in charge of that had a drinking problem. Oh my and god. Out, and it turned out that he uh he or she was basically drinking the days away. And there were and these are <laughs> not these are books that didn't sell hundreds of thousands, these are books that sold millions of copies.
2: So the bottom line is. Don't depend on anybody else to
1: do
0: it for you. Uh, And if you need an attorney, find don't go to Joe real estate attorney. Find a good local referral to an actual practicing IP attorney like an ed or somebody in your neighborhood. It can be local, right? But the main thing is, don't do it on your own and then call the attorney. If there's ever a chance you're going to use an attorney, just go to the attorney. Let it be handled right from day one.
1: But I don't want people to think that they need an attorney or a re, uh, some uh, a stock agency, God forbid, to register their images. Right. I, I could name a dozen cases. No, I'm talking infringement.
0: I'm talking for infringement.
1: Well, no, I understand. But I get you know, a dozen major cases are off the top of my head. Where companies like Corbis and Getty and smaller companies and agents and reps have filed registrations that have been kicked back. Also,
2: if you're going to research, ask what cases they've done. Have they litigated? Have they actually had cases? Right. And then look up to see how how the cases went. There's one real interesting one that Ed had, where he looked you up some lawyer. Can't make it up. Can't a, make it up. Lawyer put. You know, these are some of the cases that that he successfully
1: um, how, how did he successfully create? settled, which is a very settled. interesting. Term. But what he
2: didn't tell you is he was on the losing side. Oh. It was successfully settled, <laughs> is
1: right? But he lost.
0: Yeah,
2: he listed it as one of his
0: cases. A Little feather in well,
1: his cap in there. The cases, so you got to do your homework. In in actually more than one of the cases, but in one of those cases that this lawyer, quote unquote, successfully settled. My will cl- make up the numbers. My client would have taken fifty thousand dollars to settle the case, and this attorney uh, paid uh, my client a hundred thousand. And it says successfully settled. If he only knew. <laughs> Imagine
2: that a lawyer who lies.
0: So, Jack, I'm, this, this is this a rat hole? I just thought about that. I want to touch on real quick, and then I want to give out your copyright and your uh, yeah, contact right. information.
2: Yeah, I think the, the clock left. on the wall. When I'm you
0: zip right. your thumbnails. Right. Do you use, because you're on a Mac, do you use the built-in compress feature in the Mac operating system? Yep. I have had one job kick back and I actually got a phone call from the inspector on my job. Now, I had at that point registered when I was catching up after our first episode, I went back to 2008 and did 2008, 2009. I had done a ton doing that. And then about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, I probably a year ago, I was doing one for a show that I shot and I compressed it and I sent it. I get a phone call from the guy. Can't open your zip file. Really? Okay. I'll rezip it. It must be corrupted. Wouldn't take it. I had to download WinZip on the Mac and zip it with WinZip and I don't trust going through it again. So I always use WinZip now because the guy couldn't open the file. The,
2: um, well, the other thing to do is to just open open your zip file yourself to see if it opens i did
0: i'm a network engineer by trade yeah i mean i that zip file was totally fine but for whatever reason his desktop i'd never have a problem before his workstation wouldn't open it so
2: maybe it's because they're using old window machines yeah they're probably on
0: windows 98 um so if people want to read your blog which i recommend that they do scroll through multiple pages though because trust me it's not just the first page there's great stuff on on Older pages, too.
1: And it ain't just copyright.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of other things. Copyright um, is
0: just you know what? To me, it's fascinating reading, and you guys are funny, and you write it in such a way that it's entertaining to read. What's the website?
2: Um, www.thecopyrightzone.com. One word, The Copyright Zone.
0: Okay, so thecopyrightzone.com. Correct. And then uh, for Jack you your website is... Uh, we're, we're let, let's run down all of your stuff. So first of all, what's your website?
2: It's com, and that's spelled R E Z N I C K I.
0: Okay. Resniki. And then on Facebook, uh, you're Jack Resnicki.
2: Uh, Facebook. I don't really friend a lot of people. It's people that I really, really know. Uh, so if I don't know you, I'm probably not going to friend you. Okay. But my Instagram is resnicki.
0: Just uh, at keep- resnicki.
2: Yeah, it's nice of having a name that a lot of people don't have or spelled the way I spell it. <laughs>
0: so it, it really, really helps. So Instagram is Riznicki. And then you have a different one on Twitter, which is Copyright Jack.
2: Yeah, I haven't been doing a lot of Twitter. Usually
0: Instagram. these I days. love Twitter. I love it. So that that folks will kind of get you in touch with them. The book is available on oh, Amazon. Okay. So you can go to Amazon. Have, there will be a link for gone. the book uh, in the blog post. What were you saying?
1: My website is Greenberg. G-R-E-E-N, as in Nancy, B-E-R-G-I-P-Law.com.
0: I I never knew that, and now I do. So it's Greenberg, G-R-E-E-N-B-E-R-G-I-P-Law.com.
2: Yeah, and if, if you go to the Copyright Zone, we suggest that you subscribe to it. We do not post regularly. We'll sometimes have a flurry of posts. Sometimes we'll run a month or more without a post because there's just nothing. Either we're both real busy or we have nothing to post, but this isn't a, we post every Thursday right. uh, and that to me that for us, that would be just a lot of filler. We post when we really have something to say and uh, disseminate to everybody else.
0: And that's kind of nice. Cause if you do subscribe to their blog, you're not going to get inundated with stuff. You're going to get stuff no, that matters,
2: not at all.
0: Um, no. which is kind of nice. So guys, again, I can't say thank. It's late year time, and, and I so appreciate your guys doing this with me again.
2: Yeah, when we started, I had nice window light coming in on our faces. It's
0: dark now. You look better, <laughs> you guys. And okay, I, I wish, <laughs> by the way, Jack. Oh, yeah, there yes. you go. I I wish your your uh, New York team the best. Thank uh, you. Very much. And
1: listen, you could thank us enough by sending us a really big check uh,
0: or a bottle of whiskey.
1: Yeah wives will then cash and we'll never see it dime. I keep but.
0: telling you guys, you got to come over for a whiskey.
2: Sounds good. I'm going to travel good. to L.A. for a whiskey. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> what whiskey are we talking about?
0: Uh, I've got a ton. Are you a scotch drinker or a regular uh, oh, bourbon? bourbon? Oh, there. I've got a bottle of uh, Glenmiron G18 and another b- bottle of Signet here.
1: I've got Oban oh, here, see. and if you want to send a bourbon, you could send Woodford Reserve. Oh, Lodge do you like, if, if you like American
0: whiskeys and bourbons, I will make a recommendation to all the listeners. I found this at a restaurant here in Southern California.
1: Are you an endorser? Which we're going to be no, doing. No, but in- I just
0: got to tell you, this whiskey is so unique. If you're a whiskey fan, you have to try it. Yes. Uh, the only place we found it, it's actually made in LA, oddly enough, but the only place we found it is Total Wine and More. I don't know if you have that there. No, no. Okay. But just so that you know, it's called Slow Hand Six Woods. And it is. Amazing. So, anyway, there's our whiskey plug. Guys, again, thank you so very, very much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Always Always good to see
0: you guys. And hopefully, I will see you again soon. To everybody else that's watching, do keep in mind there will be a blog post associated with this episode. It's going to be at behindtheshot.tv. You can read the blog post, you can watch the video there. But more importantly, you can actually subscribe to the podcast. There are links, whatever your podcast catching app is. Android, iOS, or some other service that you choose to use to watch your videos. You can subscribe there, use those links, and as well, it really helps us with discovery. If you end up uh, going and actually leaving an, an iTunes review and a star rating, it really, really helps. It would be much appreciated. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook. My page is com, spelled like the country Brazil, but two L's. If you want to hit me up on uh, Instagram or Twitter, it's just at Steve Brazel. And again, as far as websites are concerned, you can find me at com or BehindTheShot.tv. I appreciate you guys stopping by. And again, thanks to my guest this time around, Ed Greenberg, Jack Resnicki from The Copyright Zone. Make sure you check out TheCopyrightZone.com. And, and I'm not kidding when I say, you can see the bookmarks in here. You need to go buy this book, go to Amazon and order it now. Let's get them up on the bestsellers list. Thanks to everybody. This is the podcast where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots, But today it's a little bit special. We touched on copyright. Thanks for stopping by and we will see you next time.